let you all know that um, the last couple days, Friday and Saturday, your uh, elders, a session of the church, were uh, hanging out at, uh, at Turkey Run. Anyone been to Turkey Run? Yeah, it's a beautiful place. I would highly recommend it. And uh, it was just a great time, a great time for us to kind of get away uh, from the building and, and be able to just kind of get to know each other better. And whenever you get away to a place like that and uh, with a group of people, you always uh, find out things you, you didn't know uh, about folks. And oftentimes you find out things that you really didn't want uh, to know about people. And so, um, but it was, uh, it was absolutely just a great time. And I just want to kind of say from up here, what a great group of active elders um, I think we have. And we are certainly blessed here at ZPC. And you know, you never know when you kind of come in and you're just plopped down in a place like I was uh, some four months ago or so. You never know who it is that's going to surround you. And, um, and I have been remarkably blessed in these last four months and feel, uh, feel certain uh, that the Spirit has called these elders who are here now. And so I just want to, I want you to know that they are an absolute blessing. So we continue now in our series called Wake from uh, Easter, from Resurrection to Pentecost. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at another post-resurrection passage. This one from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And so I invite you now to hear these words. John writes, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked and jumped into the lake. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, on this day, we do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. 
O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Now, according to John, by the time we've reached the 21st chapter, Jesus had already shown himself to the disciples a couple of times. He had already appeared to them after his death and now his resurrection. So they had been able to see him not once but twice and, and live into the joy of knowing that Jesus was no longer dead, that the impossible had been made possible. And so imagine, if you were, if you will, that there you were as a disciple, somewhat despondent after having seen Jesus die on the cross and being placed in the tomb, to all of a sudden realizing that Jesus was raised from the dead. I mean, you would have to feel like things were going pretty well for you. You would have to feel like the sky was the limit. You would have to feel like nothing is impossible, that no task is too great, that nothing could hold you back, that nothing could keep you down. So who knows what you might be doing if you were a disciple who all of a sudden had discovered that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And so with some anticipation, we begin to read this 21st chapter and John kind of begins to build up somewhat slowly by just telling us everyone who was there. And all of a sudden we're wondering, this is fantastic. What are all those people doing who are now gathered around and who know that Jesus is alive? Who knows what they might be doing? And all of a sudden, Peter says on the lakes of the shore... I'm going to go fishing. And before you know it, the others are like, all right, we'll go with you. And, and, And if you're reading this, you should be saying to yourselves, as I'm sure you were, what? I mean, this this does not sound like a group of people who have discovered that Jesus has been raised from the dead. This sounds more like me on a Friday night when I was in college. I was pretty lame in college, as I am now, and, and, and so I wasn't a big partier. So on Friday nights, more often than not, and more often than I care to admit, we'd be sitting around in our house with my housemates there, and we'd be saying, what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. And after about 20 minutes of this, finally someone would say, well, I'm going to go to Sonic. And someone else would be like, all right, I mean, why should I turn down a tater tot on a night like tonight, right? This is what's going on with the disciples. They've seen the resurrected Savior. They know that nothing is impossible, and they decided they're going to go to Sonic. I mean, that should put this in some context for you. And lots of scholars, kind of highfalutin folks, have wondered, why is it that they decided to go to Sonic? Why is it that they decided to do something as somewhat uh, strange as just go fishing? And some have pointed out, well, perhaps it's, it's because, you know, this is something real, and they've been living with a lot of unreal things in terms of the resurrection. And, and others have said, well, you know, they didn't really know what else to do. And, and, and others have said, well, maybe their families are finally saying, you know what, you've been hanging out with that guy for three years. It's time for you to make a living. Right? Some of you moms with, uh, with kids in your houses are saying that right now. And so do something. And so I think, I mean, if anyone cares, what I think is that perhaps there's a good chance that for many of these disciples, 
on the shores of the sea. And after fishing is where they first met Jesus. And perhaps, you know, Jesus, even though he's been appearing to them, has also been disappearing, as we saw last week pretty quickly. And perhaps there's a sense of, well, maybe if we go back here on the beach, maybe if we, if we go out and fish, maybe just like the first time, Jesus will appear to us again. It's kind of a desperate hope that perhaps they can conjure up the resurrected Savior yet one more time. And of course, it works. But again, at first, they didn't realize it. You can't really blame them. My guess is they they were out there to see pretty frustrated, right? Pretty disappointed. I mean, they're throwing out the the net and bringing it in, nothing. They're throwing out the net again and bringing it in, nothing. Again and again and again. And can't you just feel the frustration and the disappointment? No sleep, no fish, no Jesus. And on top of all of that, They've got some wacko back on shore who's yelling out something like, hey, you guys caught anything today? I mean, the only thing more angering than staying up all night and catching no fish is to have some guy that you don't even know yelling out to you, hey, you haven't caught much, have you? You guys aren't hearing this. This would be annoying to no end. Clearly, we have no fishermen here. And so then, you know, of course, they say, they yell out, no. And my guess is that John may have uh, artfully deleted a couple saltier words that may have become right before that word, no. And so then Jesus has this great idea, right? Of course, they don't know it's Jesus. Uh, He says, hey, I got an idea. Why Why don't you throw the net on the other side of the boat? And you've got to know, at least Peter's got to be thinking to himself, how about I throw you on the other side of the boat? But they do it because, why? Well, I mean, who knows? What else do they have to do? And sure enough, they do it, and all of a sudden, it gets, it gets snagged on something. This is the first time they felt this all night. They don't know exactly what that feeling is, but, but clearly something's wrong with the net. And before you know it, all of a sudden the net begins to move and they realize, well, it's not snagged on anything. It's, it's got a fish. It's teeming with fish. And, and all of a sudden they realize that they finally caught something. It's almost as they thought, perhaps, it's almost like a miracle. And the one of them clearly realizes, wait a second, this is not like a miracle. This actually is a miracle. And before you know it, he's yelling out, it's the Lord. And before the D of Lord can even be enunciated, Peter is already overboard. He is breaststroking to the Savior. He is not going to let him get away. And all of a sudden, they're all up there on shore together. And of course, what is Jesus doing? He's at the fire and he's feeding them. He is cooking, right? Chef Jesus is there and he is hosting them yet again. Another meal with the disciples. This is a fantastic scene and yet it is another clear reminder to us and we are so quickly to forget that you shouldn't be after the end of this series of how difficult it is for us oftentimes to see the risen Savior. And a part of the reason why we have titled this series, Wake, 
is because we are saying we as followers of Christ need to wake up to where it is that Jesus is alive and well in our midst, that we have to be alert to that. Sometimes it's hard. Oftentimes it's hard for us to see that Jesus. As we talked about last week, sometimes it's because we don't expect to see Jesus. And I think one of the other reasons perhaps why sometimes it's hard for us to see the risen Savior is because of our own disappointments, our own frustrations, perhaps. I mean, one of the great things about this scene, it seems to me, is it is a great picture of the fact that so often we can feel like we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. We are being faithful. We are following Jesus. We're doing what we think God is calling us to, and yet we keep pulling up empty nets. And so we keep getting more disappointed and more disappointed We're wondering, where is the harvest? Where is the produce? Where are the successes? One of the things that this story serves as is like a parable of what Jesus has said earlier, which is that the Lord, Jesus says, is the Lord of the harvest. In other words, you are not the Lord of the harvest. And one of the things that we need to hear is that our call, is to cast out the net. Our call is to be faithful. Our call is not to be successful. Let me say that again, because this is hard for hardworking Americans to understand. Our call is to be faithful. It is not necessarily to be successful. That is up to the Lord. And our call is to continue to obey, to continue to follow Jesus, even when we do not see the fruit of our labor. Why? Because we never know what it is that Jesus might be doing the next time we cast out the net. And we never know how Jesus might be teaming up the fish, getting it all ready for the next time that we cast out the net. And we cannot stop casting, stop following, stop stop listening to what Jesus is telling us to do, simply because we don't get the results we think we deserve. And one of the reasons why I've been thinking about that is because in the last two weeks, I have been able to meet with around 40 different inquirers, those who are about to join the church, 20 of them or so being adults and around 20 uh, sixth graders. And it's been fantastic. This past week, I was able to meet with these sixth graders and, and what a great group of kids. I love their questions. One of the questions from these sixth graders was, do you know what you're going to say before you get up here or do you just wing it? (laughs) Now, I was tempted to say, did your parent ask you that? (laughs) But I I didn't say that. I said, well, you know, it may surprise you, but it's not all completely winging it, just about 50%. So, but it was, it was, it was fantastic, and I wish that you could have been there to hear how this last year had shaped them, how in this last year they had begun to grow closer to the living Savior, how they had begun to grow closer to one another. 
I mean, these are great kids who are asking remarkable questions. And it was clear that they were growing deeper and deeper in their faith. And I was wondering to myself as I was listening to them, and my guess is other sixth graders in the previous three or four years, I said, I wonder if even in the midst of the difficult times of ZPC, when all of the adults were sitting there and putting down their nets and feeling like nothing was coming up, I wondered if they were aware of these fish who were down here and who were learning more and more about who the risen Savior is. And that even though our eyes may have easily been caught up in the empty nets, the risen Savior wasn't actually working with our kids in amazing ways. Or then listening to the stories of the adults about why it is that they were here at ZPC, why it is that they were wanting to become members. And we have, we have folks who have been there from seven weeks up to seven years or so. And it was fascinating, again, to hear why it is, what it was that drew them in and what it is that even kept them, especially those who were, who were here during some of the less than glamorous times. And again, I wondered, do we know, are we aware of how Jesus was continue, continuing to be at work, even when we couldn't see it, even when nothing was coming up in the nets, even when it felt like all the fish that were in the ZPC boat were jumping off. Are we aware of how Jesus was continuing to work? And one of the things I want to let you know is your faithfulness, your desire to compete, continue to obey God, to continue to cast out the nets, even after a long night when you're wondering, is there ever going to be any fish? Is there ever going to be any daylight? God was still at work. That the risen Savior was continuing to show himself for those who have eyes to see, knowing that you never know that the next cast out might bring in some pretty remarkable folks. And it seems to me, just as I said last Sunday, that when we see those things, just as those disciples to Emmaus saw the risen Savior, where did they go? They went back to Jerusalem in order to celebrate with others. And isn't that what we see here? As soon as one of the disciples, the disciple, John tells us, whom Jesus loved, as soon as he saw who it was, he screamed out, it is the Lord. And our call when we see the risen Lord is not to keep it to ourselves, as we said last Sunday, but to share it with others. And for those of you who were here last week, I gave you all homework. Yeah. I already hear the dog ate it, right? And the homework that I gave to you all who were here was to expect and to look for the risen Savior this week and to either tell us where you saw the risen Savior or where you helped others to experience the risen Savior. And earlier this week, as we were gathering as a worship team, someone on the worship team said, are you going to follow up on that homework this week? Are you going to ask them whether they're willing to share that this week? And I don't want to say who it was because I don't want you to get angry at Betsy about that. But, <laughs> but I've decided that I am going to ask you to do that. Now, I know that not everyone was here last week. And that sometimes it can be hard to kind of quickly come up with something. I know some of you were visitors, so I don't want you to get too nervous. 
But here's what I want you to do. You've got about three minutes. And I want you to share with somebody, it can be somebody nearby, either where it is that you saw Jesus this week. I already, we already talked to the elders about that earlier this weekend. Where it is you've seen the risen Savior this week or where it is that you've helped others experience it. And if, if you came and you didn't have one of those or you were a visitor, you can simply say, I saw the risen Savior with destiny when she was up here. Because that was certainly the risen Savior at work. Amen? But now, if you were here last Sunday, that's a cop out. So I want to hear you say to one another where it is you've seen the Jesus or where it is that you've helped others to experience Jesus. And the clock starts now. Let's go. Thirty seconds. All right. One of the things is we've said this before, one of the things that is important for us is that we don't just come in here. We don't, as a part of worship, just to sing or to listen. We come in here to be actively involved with what it is that Jesus is doing and to be accountable to one another. Uh, Part of our call, again, is to share with each other and to encourage one another. Sometimes it's, it's hard to see Jesus. And sometimes the reality is, if you were to ask me at the end of a week, did you see the risen Savior? I might, I can clearly say, no, I just, I didn't see it. But then other times, there are those times when I see him, and I need to be able to share that with you all, and I need you to be able to share that with me. It is incredibly encouraging for me to know that you have seen the risen Savior. And so some of you may be saying, you know what? I struggled to see it this week. What what can we do? How can we try and understand and, and see the risen Savior more? Are there things that we can do? And I want you to know, it seems to me there is something that we can do. There's lots of things, I suppose, but But one thing that we see in this particular story, a way that we can put ourselves in a position in which we might be more likely to see the risen Savior. It is something that, quite frankly, I have talked about already quite a bit here. More times in the last four months than I think I've probably talked about in in, in the other nine years that I've been a pastor. And that is by remembering the importance of table fellowship of remembering the importance of simply sitting down and sharing a meal. And why is it that I am always talking about that, it seems? 
because it is always happening in the scriptures. Again, Jesus is continually talking about the fact. Or Jesus is not talking about it. He's simply there. He is almost always, it seems like, gathered around one table or another. Eating, just like in this story, gathered around a campfire, cooking and preparing a meal for others. And I don't think that's just kind of happenstance. I don't think that that's just kind of included for no reason. I think it's put in there intentionally. And one of the things that we as Christians oftentimes do is we, we are concerned about the ways that culture is kind of creeping into the church. And so uh, we tend to focus, though, on the big ticket items, on items like sex or, or money or power. And I think one of the most important ways that culture has kind of creeped into the church and we have been caught unaware, we have been caught sleeping, is with the infrequency with, with which we gather around a table together and eat with one another. And I want you to know, I think that that is a tragedy. But the reality is that more and more of us are eating on the road because we've got to get to one place or another. Or if we're eating at the house, we've got the television on or we've got our cell phone that's sitting right there just in case the most important phone call in the world happens to come our way. And I want you to know that those small things of not eating together or around with family or neighbors or friends or being distracted with the television on while you're sitting around, or or always wondering what the next email is you're going to receive, or what's going on with this game or that game. I want you to know that it eats away at our ability to simply table fellowship with one another. It eats away at our abilities to listen to one another, to hear one another's stories, and to ask where is it that we are seeing the risen Savior in the lives of one another another. And I've said this before, and I will say it again and again, we are too busy. And if you want to know how it is that we can be a witness to this culture that surrounds us, it is when we remember that eating together is a sacred act that is life-giving and oftentimes Jesus-seeing. And we at ZPC have a great opportunity to be a witness to the fast and going this way and that culture that surrounds us. How? Not by doing great things or crazy things, but by simply saying it is important for us to gather around a table and to eat with one another. It is the reason why when we had this last inquirer's uh, meeting, we started in somebody's home, gathered around small tables and eating with one another and getting to know each other. Why did we do that? Not because it was a good icebreaker, is a slow way to start things, not because it was a cheap Friday night date, but it certainly was, not because of any of those reasons, but because we wanted the inquirers to know that you are important enough to us to say whatever else may be going on a Friday night, for the pastors and the elders, we want to be with you. We want to eat with you. We want to hear your story. We want to know who you are. We want to know what it means for you to follow Christ. This is not an extra, or it shouldn't be for us at ZPC. It has to be in the DNA of who we are. 
Because when you are there and you are taking the time intentionally to say, I am going to simply gather with those that I love, with strangers in my midst, you are saying that you are living according to a different rule book. And people, time, people oftentimes want to know, you know, what is it? How, what does it mean to be successful as a church? And let me tell you what I think it means to be successful. It isn't when, and I've said this to you before, when thousands are coming through these doors, it is when I'm out in the community and someone says, hey, aren't you the pastor at ZPC? Let me tell you how somebody at ZPC has changed my life. Let me tell you how someone has shown me the risen Savior. And I would love to make it more specific for it to be, oh, you're the pastor of that church where people are always eating together and eating with others and inviting people together around meals. I want to be that kind of weird Christ follower. Because I think it's an opportunity for us to stand up and say no more. No more will we allow the society around us to shape us. But it is too important for us to just eat on the run all the time and to just forget and act like everything else is more important than simply joining together, eating a meal, and sharing life together. Sisters and brothers in Christ. I know that it can be disappointing when you feel like you're following Jesus and seeing no results, but I want you to know that the Savior is there. Keep casting the net, not knowing when perhaps the next time you cast is when you will see the fruit of your labor. Be intentional. Do not allow the culture around you to tell you when you will eat and how quickly you will eat and with whom you will eat. Gather around the table and invite the risen Savior with you. And then again, celebrate. Celebrate with others where you have seen Jesus alive in your life. May it be so. Amen and amen.